You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com. This episode is a replay of a webinar entitled Launching Alternative Payments and features experts from Chargebacks 911 and SOAR Payments. Okay. I want to welcome everyone to the webinar. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to join us. I appreciate that everyone's probably got a lot going on. Uh, my name is Jared Wright, and I'm the uh, Vice President of Marketing here at Chargebacks 911. For those of you unfamiliar with Chargebacks 911, real quick, we help merchants by identifying and preventing chargebacks before they happen, and then managing their disputes for the chargebacks that we were unable to prevent. Um, also presenting today is a fan favorite, Scott Scott. Hawksworth. Um, he is the sales and marketing director at SOAR Payments. Scott, do you want to just take a minute to tell us a little bit about yourself and um, SOAR Pay? Sure. And, and thanks, Jared. And I want to thank Chargebacks 911 for inviting me to be a part of this again. Second time doing this. So it's awesome to be back. Um, what we do here at SOAR Pay is very simple. We help businesses of all kinds get set up to accept payments mostly for credit card processing, but we do also offer e-check and ACH options, which of course we'll talk about in a bit here. And lastly, what we do is we offer unique expertise in helping businesses that are considered high risk or hard to place when it comes to credit card processing. Essentially, if many traditional banks won't work with a specific type of legal business, we work on finding options for them. Um, so, you know, obviously we help many merchants get set up with credit card processing, but we do come across folks who are interested in accepting payments from customers via different or alternative methods. So that's what we're going to be talking about here. Great. And uh, some of those alternative me methods we're going to talk about today. So that's uh, that's why we've got Scott here with us. And um, before I get started, before we get into the meat of this, I just wanted to, to go over real quick how the webinar will be structured. The first part of the webinar will be will include a short presentation from myself and from Scott. Um, this uh, portion of the webinar will be fairly visual. So it's important that if possible, you close your other windows and give us your attention for that part. The second portion will be a Q&A where we answer many of the questions that were submitted when you register for the webinar. This portion will be less visual, so it's okay if you want to just sort of listen to that part. Please also feel free to submit any additional questions that you have during the webinar. We promise to answer any questions submitted, if not live, then by email after the webinar. Um, <clears throat> also, I just want to let everyone know that this webinar will be available for replay starting tomorrow. Not all of the Q&A portion of that webinar will necessarily be included in the recording, however, so we encourage you to stay with us today so that you get the maximum value out of this event. Uh, lastly, this and other webinars will eventually be released in audio form on our podcast. Um, if you listen to podcasts and want to check that out, just search Charge Forward, all one word, with Chargebacks 911, however you listen to your podcasts. Oh, and I should, I should also mention um, Scott uh, hosts a podcast too. Scott, you want to plug your podcast here at the top while we're talking about it? Sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's called PayPod, the Payments and FinTech Podcast, and uh, we release new episodes weekly talking about payments, financial technology, all sorts of stuff. So feel free to check us out. Yeah, I definitely recommend that you guys do that. Okay. Okay. Uh, before I get started today, um, I'm not sure. You know, I don't know if we have a lot of returning visitors or. Um, if this is your first webinar, but I like to start these webinars with uh, a practice I call asking a dumb question. Um, the idea being that since I have the opportunity to speak with different experts from different industries, I shouldn't be afraid to take advantage of the situation and uh, ask a dumb question about um, that I actually have about an area that they're uh, interested in. So, so Scott, do you mind if I if I embarrass myself and ask you a dumb question? Go for it. All right. Um, so in get, getting ready for today's webinar, I was thinking and researching a lot, and I realized that I had been using kind of a literal interpretation of the term alternative payments. And um, it occurred to me that that uh, uh, sort of definition isn't a very accurate one. It sort of reminded me, and I'm going to date myself a little bit here by confessing this, but it reminded me of when alternative music sort of took over in the 90s. Um, you know, at first alternative music was kind of actually the alternative to the stuff that was playing on the radio, but then all of a sudden, you know, probably overnight, um, alternative music became basically the only thing playing on the radio. 
So we called it alternative, but it really wasn't the alternative. It was, um, it was you know, just music at that point. Um, so I, I guess I'm having sort of a similar issue with alternative payments because some types, like if you look at uh, cryptocurrency, for example, it really does still feel like an alternative payment option. Um, mm -hmm. While other methods like PayPal, for example, have been around for a very long time, and they're they're very, you know, oftentimes very reliant on credit cards and banks, and and they're not really that different than just a standard uh, credit card transaction. And then if you really want to, you know, take this to to, you know, uh, the extreme, you could actually look and argue and say credit cards are an alternative way to pay uh, versus cash. So um, I guess I got hung up a little bit on the term al alternative. So that's my, my question. Um, what's an easy and clean way, just so that we're all on the same page and we're defining what we're talking about today, what in your mind makes a method uh, alternative, a payment method alternative? Sure, sure. Uh, for me, it's, it's very simple. Anything that is not a traditional credit card swipe or a traditional just e-commerce credit card checking out uh, or cash, I would consider to be alternative payment. Okay. Well, that's easy then. Okay. So, so yeah. not cash, <laughs> not credit card, everything else is alternative. Yeah. Yeah. And your, you know, your traditional swiper, that would be, you know, a normal payment method. So alternative okay. is anything that's not that. Okay. Great. Perfect. Okay, um, and for today's webinar, you know, I need to acknowledge that Scott is really the expert in this area, so I'm going to give him the floor for a lot of this webinar. But I just had a couple slides that I wanted to go through, and um, one thing I think it's important that I talk about, especially in the context of today's webinar, is something I run into a lot when I'm speaking to merchants. Uh, it's the hope that there's a magic bullet. On almost every one of these webinars, I'll get asked something like, uh, "How do I completely eliminate chargebacks?" And people tend there to, they, they want there to be sort of a simple solution, something that they can put in their terms of service or additional security step they can implement. And the truth is that if you want to accept payments online, you won't ever be able to completely eliminate chargebacks. Um, that is unless you figure out a business model where all of your customers are willing to pay via Bitcoin or ebook or some of the alternative methods. Um, Unless you can figure that out, um, you're going to have to accept credit cards, and there you're going and you're going to have some, at least some chargeback liability. Um, alternative payments, the solutions that we're going to talk about today, like a lot of the other things that we talk about, can, are an important part of the solution, but they're unfortunately not going to be the magic bullet that uh, you know I worry that some people are looking for. So I know that's a bummer, but I just wanted to kind of address that misconception up front. And I also wanted to talk about um, <clears throat> sort of the evolution of retail and the evolution of payments. Um, and a big part of this conversation is the realization that chargebacks are gonna be with us for the foreseeable future. And maybe that's a good thing. And um, so I'll kind of add some context to why I think that that might be the case. Um, I was thinking about the evolution of retail and I'm probably gonna, date myself again here, um, but when I was younger, cash was almost everyone's preferred method of payment. Um, credit cards have been around for a long time. I'm not that old, uh, but when most transactions happened in person, cash was much more common. The complexity of bringing banks and credit cards and all that stuff into a simple two-party transaction sort of seemed strange. It was just, it was something that I think a lot of people thought would be in the future, but it was just, it was just awkward to, to do that. Um, the idea of payment cards offering consumer protection wasn't really part of the conversation, even though technically chargebacks have been around, uh, and, and if I'm not mistaken, somebody else can tell me if I'm wrong about this, but they've been around in some form or another since the 70s. When I was younger, despite those protections being in place, credit cards seemed less secure than cash. <clears throat> it was really the internet in a lot of ways that changed that dynamic. Uh, consumers wanted to feel secure when buying things online, so banks really started advertising the protections that credit cards and de debit cards offered, and they really made it easy for consumers to file disputes. So on the one hand, the current situation with chargebacks can be frustrating, and I'm sure that everyone on this uh, webinar is, is frustrated with chargebacks and the, the lengths they have to go through to prevent and to deal with them. Um, but I think it's also important that uh, that we all sort of remember that without chargebacks, many of us would not be making money online right now. And um, 
you know, we may get to the place and, and this, you know, maybe Scott has some ideas about this. We may get to the place where buying online will be completely normalized, um, as normal as buying in a store. And uh, customers will once again prefer the simplicity of a cash-like transaction, um, you know, without all these th this third-party involvement. Um, but but for right now, we're, we're sort of in the place that we're, we're at. And it's important to have that historical context when we talk about, you know, um, what the future might hold. <clears throat> Okay, so uh, I'm going to ask you, Scott, if maybe you could weigh in on this. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are on this webinar because they're weighing the potential of alternative payments to, um, you know, um, you know, uh, offering them on their store. Why? What are some of the benefits? Why? Why are merchants looking to alternative payments um, for for e-commerce? Sure. I mean, this is the big question. Why, why consider alternative payments at all? If you're accepting credit or debit cards, particularly online, that should be good enough, right? Uh, maybe your business is in a good spot. There's no reason to rock the payments boat, so to speak. Um, but this is faulty thinking. And really, there are three key reasons uh, why businesses decide to explore alternative payment methods. The first and I think this is one of the biggest ones, is just revenue growth. So if you think about it, if all you're willing to consider is credit or debit cards, you are going to be leaving some money on the table, much like cash-only businesses that lose customers because of a lack of credit card payment options. There are many different types of payment options out there that customers do want to use, and this list is growing. And actually, in fact, according to a WorldPay Global Payment Report, over half of all online transactions will be made using an alternative payment method by 2021. So that's huge. Furthermore, alternative payment methods can be used in conjunction with traditional credit card acceptance should a card be declined during a transaction. So another little factoid here, some merchants have been able to recoup as high as 30% of card declined sales with alternative options. And then lastly, when we're talking about revenue growth, it's global expansion. If you are trying to reach customers that are located in other countries, accepting payment methods that are popular in those countries is crucial. That is your way in. The second overall advantage that alternative payments can provide is lower transaction fees and account fees. So, and also, faster settlement times. So for those who are maybe struggling with processing fees, funding times, this can be significant. Now, again, not all alternative payment methods are necessarily cheaper than your traditional merchant account, but the point is, is that there are some that are absolutely cheaper, and that can be a nice way to uh, you know, save some money. And then third, and this is really important for folks that might be in uh, industries considered high risk or um, you know, maybe having some struggles with chargebacks, limiting your options from the payment side can leave you with few solutions should there be a disruption in your service. Um, so if your account gets shut down, what have you, and you don't have another option to accept payment from customers, uh, that could be a huge problem for you. And alternative payments can kind of spread out some of that risk. Well, that's great, Scott. We, I appreciate all that. So the the 30% number, I mean, that stands out to me because that's um, that seems like a like a very viable. Um, that seems like a, like a, that that could uh, increase a lot of revenue for a lot of people. Um, do do you know our merchants? You know, sort of showing the alternative payment option. You know, after the the credit card decline, so they're just showing a traditional credit card checkout and then then showing the alternative payments. Or um, are are they able to measure that because uh, that alternative payment method is just sort of already there, so that then when the credit card fails, then then they'll uh, uh, opt for a secondary method. Do, sure. Do you have so any sense of how that's set up? Yeah. So that specific number I mentioned, that was when they were presenting it to uh, customers after a card decline. So they were presenting it, you know, oh, I'd try to check out and, you know, for whatever reason, my card was declined. Then they present with this alternative payment option. But there are folks that do also present that at the front. So, oh, you can check out with a traditional credit card or, hey, we have these other options, PayPal, what have you. That's great. Okay, so let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> okay, th this slide, um, 
you know, you, you've talked a little bit about, you have a little bit of expertise in sort of a high risk business or maybe a high chargeback business. What, what, what specifically for the merchants that, you know, maybe, maybe have a higher uh, chargeback ratio than, than a traditional, you know, online retail store? Um, you know, what, what are some of the benefits that those businesses have for, um, uh, that, that they're able to obtain from um, um, alternative payments? Sure, sure. Um, well, first, just for those who are unfamiliar, um, you know, what, is, what does high risk mean? What are these types of businesses? Uh, these are businesses that are in industries that fewer banks and processors are willing to work with. Um, for example, credit repair, firearms, certain type of travel businesses, adult businesses, et cetera. Or maybe they have significant chargeback issues, usually a ratio of over 1%. Um, and these businesses can struggle to get that credit card processing in the first place, uh, and they may have credit card processing accounts closed or held, um, or have credit card processing volume limits per month, so they can only process a certain amount. So these are considered high-risk businesses, and, and again, there's all types of businesses that would be under this umbrella. And what alternative payments can do for these types of businesses is several things. Number one, it can help them accept more payments from customers uh, if they have that processing limit. So like I mentioned, hey, if they have a cap on what credit card processing they can do, if you have an alternative payment method, you can just slide that right in and really work to stay under your cap, which is really important. Additionally, and I, I mentioned this uh, a little bit at the uh, top there, ultimately provide greater protection for the payment side of the business through this flexibility. So again, if you're in a high-risk business and you've had accounts shut down in the past or you're really flirting with, uh, with a really high chargeback ratio that could, that could lead to some problems, alternative payments can, can mitigate that. And then you can also mitigate chargeback risk by providing customers with payment methods that are not able to be charged back uh, just on your credit card. So that's when we're talking about things like e-check and ACH. Uh, and, and that can be really helpful, especially if you have certain customers that are maybe just of a greater risk to charge back or certain products or services that uh, have that greater risk. Well, you can kind of funnel them over to something that may not necessarily uh, involve a credit card payment. So it wouldn't necessarily impact your merchant account and that charge back ratio. All right, so that that all that makes a lot of sense, and I, I could see that there, um, you know, if you're a high risk business. Now, now, just just to be clear, if you're not in a high risk business, um, you know, or you don't think that you are, um, a lot of these benefits would, would you would still benefit to some degree from alternative payments, right? All the, the main me mechanism of alternative payments doesn't specifically apl apply to high risk businesses, correct? Absolutely, absolutely, and like I had mentioned, there are still those great revenue benefits and things like that. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where these benefits are all businesses, um, but, you know, high risk businesses might, might see some particularly nice benefits from this. Great. Okay. And, and we've, we've, uh, you know, we've already mentioned some, you've mentioned e-checks and, you know, I mentioned Bitcoin earlier. Um, but, but I think it would be worth, uh, our effort to kind of go through, you, you know, the different types of alternative, uh, payments that are the main, at least the main categories that are available to, uh, to merchants. You want to tell us about, you know, what those categories are and a little bit about each? Absolutely. And, and we do not have time to cover every single alternative payment method. So maybe there's one you've heard of, um, that we don't necessarily touch on, but there are lots of them, but I like to say that there are four large buckets that I, I would consider alternative payments falling into. Number one is your bank transfers or your wire transfers, one and the same. And this is when a consumer transfers payment to a business. Typically funds are transferred almost instantly and all it requires is consumers approving the transaction via their online banking. Um, this can also include direct debit. And in the US, this isn't a particularly popular payment method, but globally it actually sees tremendous usage. And in fact, uh, in a WorldPay survey, 13 of 36 countries surveyed cited bank transfers as their preferred method. And by 2021, bank transfers are expected to be the second most popular alternative payment method for e-commerce. 
Uh, fees, of course, vary by bank, but one of the sort of downsides to this is they do tend to be relatively high. You're looking at $25 or more. Um, I've seen you know fees per transaction of up to $50. Um, ultimately, what that means is for small purchases, uh, bank transfers can simply prove impractical. If you're selling a $5 uh, product, it's not worth it to pay $25. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind. The second big bucket method is your ACH and your e-check. And these are two popular alternative payment methods um, and ones that we actually at SOAR Payments routinely help merchants get set up to accept. So ACH, uh, I don't wanna get too in the weeds here, but ACH is Automated Clearing House. It is a network established by US banks that enables efficient transactions between checking and savings accounts held at those banks. Typically, these take two to three business days to complete, but they boast really low fees, usually under a dollar or nothing. And from a security standpoint, ACH transfers are among the most secure. Uh, they can be also reversed in the case of fraud or a payment error. Then you have e-check or electronic check, um, and it's an electronic version of a paper check that is used to make payments online. So anyone with a checking account can pay by e-check, uh, and to pay by e-check, customers simply provide their bank routing number, account number, name on their bank account in a secure online portal. And then from there, a check is generated and sent to the merchant's bank where these funds are deposited. And again, like ACH, this is typically more secure and can offer protections for businesses that are struggling with chargebacks since e-check payments cannot be charged back because it's not a credit card payment. Uh, and again, the fees tend to be slightly lower than with credit card processing. So those are some other benefits there. Number three, and this can be a little confusing, but you've got digital wallets and mobile payments, and there's a significant amount of crossover between the two. Uh, digital wallets allow consumers to safely store funds for transfers and payments. Some of the most popular digital wallet solutions include things like PayPal, Alipay, Venmo, and many merchants accept payments from these and they can be a fantastic complement to an existing merchant account with similar fee structures. Uh, digital wallets are actually set to overtake credit cards as the main payment method in the US by 2023. So that's really, really powerful there. Then meanwhile, you have mobile payments and that is any service that is considered uh, a mobile wallet or enables mobile money transfer. Uh, the main function is consumers can pay using their mobile phone. And the most notable of these are Apple Pay and Google Pay. Um, and then this is where it gets kind of confusing because those are also technically digital wallets. So really one and the same in a lot of these things, there's a lot of crossover. And then the last um, big bucket type is cryptocurrencies, um, but I also would consider stable coins to be among these. And again, we could spend a whole lot of time on this, but cryptocurrency is a digital or virtual currency that's secured by cryptography, which makes it nearly impossible to counterfeit or double spend. Uh, Bitcoin, you've probably heard of, that's the most famous of these. And then stable coins are a type of cryptocurrency that actually has its value pegged to an existing fiat currency, such as the US dollar, to make it less volatile and more usable for commerce. So digital currency, these cryptocurrencies, these are still relatively new, but there are more and more organizations offering crypto payments options and more consumers are requesting them. Crypto is an alternative payment method that those in high risk industries, again, um, are also using more of due to these lower fees and again, challenges with traditional merchant accounts with chargebacks and things like that. So again, these are the these are what I would consider to be the four alternative payment buckets. That's great. And and just, you know, I already asked my dumb question, but I'm going to ask another one here. Peer-to-peer um, -peer payments um, like Zelle, for example, is, is that is that similar to ACH or, I, you know, my understanding is that you, you can't use Zelle for business or you shouldn't use it for business. Um, but is, is that a similar mechanism? Um, the, 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 is ACH sort of a business version of Zelle or am I thinking about this totally wrong? It kind of, but I would say Zelle is actually, it's closer to the sort of mobile digital wallet type. Um, okay. It's kind of a, it's almost like a hybrid between like a wire transfer and your sort of mobile digital wallet, the way I would think about it. The thing yeah. with ACH and eCheck is that there is still that clearing time and you don't necessarily okay. have that with Zelle. Okay. 
Is, is there anything, I, I think this is a question later, so I'm stepping on our questions later, but while it's fresh on my mind, is there, like as we're talking about Zelle, you know, we, we already sort of created another category within this. Is, is there stuff that, that you're aware of that, that sort of has the potential to be added to this list in the future? Is there is there exciting things that you guys are looking forward to over there, uh, you know, in the next five years, let's say? You know, honestly, everything that I have seen would probably fall under these. Uh, a mm -hmm. lot of the growth is in your, your, you know, tap payments. And, um, you know, when you're talking about uh, internationally, you have QR codes and things like that. A lot of it is focused around mobile payments. So that's where I see a lot of potential in. But then mm -hmm. you have these cryptocurrencies that are, that are still just kind of, um, you know, <laughs> rising and rising and you have things like the lightning network and all of this uh, that would fall under that umbrella so it's going to be interesting to see yeah okay and let's see all right now that you got everybody excited about all these alternative payments why don't we uh why don't we be a little bit of a rain cloud and let uh and talk about some of the limitations that these uh these payment methods have Sure. And I, I mean, this really harkens back to uh, what you started talking about, which is that silver bullet. Um, you know, a lot of people are looking for that one solution that's just going to solve all their problems. And, and unfortunately, uh, that's not necessarily the case. Um, you know, credit card payments are still the preferred payment method for many consumers in the U.S., uh, credit card rewards, get those frequent flyer miles, uh, the ability to purchase something without necessarily immediately having that cash on hand. These are powerful, powerful drivers for consumers. So there is still a ton of value in managing your chargebacks, having quality credit card processing options with seamless shopping cart experiences if online or a checkout experience if in person or retail. Um, you know, furthermore, some of the methods I discussed, they involve collecting bank account transfer information from consumers, and that can actually be a deterrent for those who are maybe wary of providing too much information to a business. Um, and then meanwhile, when we're talking about things like cryptocurrencies, uh, there are some hurdles for accepting that. You need ways to convert that crypto into fiat currency. Um, customers need to have crypto wallets and so on. So once again, alternative payments are a fantastic way to what I would say, complement your payment stack. But if you're in a situation where you've burned through merchant accounts and can only accept Venmo, uh, or you can only work with PayPal, or you can only accept crypto, that is not ideal. And, uh, and that ultimately will be limiting your business. So, so there are limitations to alternative payments. Getting started. Yeah, um, I know. I know. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, if if you are listening to this now, we've kind of given you the pros and the cons here. But if you're ready to embark on this alternative payment method journey, the good news is is that there are tons of resources out there to help you navigate, you know, your specific situation because you know, no business, uh, every business is unique. So if you're interested in something specific like PayPal, Venmo, another alternative payment brand, uh, I'd personally recommend you visit their website, start exploring your options there, and ask yourself some questions. Always consider how it will fit into your current payment stack. Some questions I might ask, one, do I want to put this new payment method on equal footing with my existing payment method? Um, Jared and I were kind of talking about that with, you know, do you put it your alternative method before checkout, or do you present it if something, uh, if a card transaction doesn't go through? Um, if you roll out a new payment method, you may see your other method decline in usage. And if your alternative method is more expensive for your business, that can have a net negative effect. Another question, do you want it to be supplemental? Again, this kind of uh, goes back to what we were talking about. If you want it to be supplemental, will you offer it after a card payment fails? Will you contact customers and let them know how else they can pay? And then a, this is a real big question. Is this right for my customers? Have I received questions about it? This is a no brainer question actually. If none of your customers use it or have any interest in it, it's not a method that's worth pursuing in my opinion. I'm a big fan of surveying your customers before such a big change, especially when we're talking about payments. So you know, ask those questions find out 
follow the lead that your customers give you. And then what is the implementation cost and ROI? This should be self-explanatory. Depending on the method, there may be development time. Uh, there may be things that you need to do and adjust in order to make that work. Evaluate that ROI from the start. And then lastly, I'll just give a quick little plug here. If you are interested in eCheck or ACH specifically, feel free to contact SOAR Payments. You can email me, scott at soarpay.com, and I'd be happy to help you out uh, because we do have a lot of folks that are interested in that method, but again, fitting it within their current payment stack. Okay, that's uh, that's good advice. And um, yeah, definitely uh, email Scott. Um, so so uh, the uh, eCheck and the ACH, that would you would say SOAR Payments would be, uh, that, that would be sort of their your your, your specialty? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, that's our, you know, obviously credit card payments is number one for us, but sure. uh, beyond that, e-check and ACH, absolutely. Okay, great. Okay, so that's that's the, the first half of the uh, webinar. We're going to go ahead and now we're going to uh, take some of these questions that were submitted. Um, <clears throat> the first question is uh, how to reduce the number of chargebacks and scammy customers. Um, so, well, there's, there's two parts about this. I guess I'm going to start with the scammy customers part. And, um, and and I think that, look, if you're having people and what they're doing is, you know, they're maliciously filing a chargeback, um, you know, I, I think that the idea that, you know, for example, we say sometimes 70% of chargebacks turn out to be some form of friendly fraud. Um, the reason that the number is 70% is because friendly fraud is, is, is a fairly fairly wide spectrum. Um, the uh, instances where a customer comes and makes a purchase with the intention of filing a chargeback in order to try to scam you out of um, your product, it does happen. It is It happens way more often than it should, um, but it is a small subset of that 70%. So if, if you're having a friendly fraud issue, a lot of times there's, there's you know, other things going on. And, um, and as a result, you know, preventing, you know, those transactions from going through, there usually isn't a lot of indicators that this person's going to be a bad customer, right? Because they're not, with, with a fraudster, there's all kinds of tells, right? There's all kinds of, you know, the IP doesn't match. There's all kinds of things that you can look for. Whereas if it's somebody that's ultimately going to, you know, that's maybe a little bit chargeback happier, or it's going to be a problem customer, um, there really isn't a way to diagnose that upfront. Um, so unfortunately, preventing um, uh, friendly fraud, you know, in the same way that you would prevent um, criminal fraud, as in to just not let the transaction go through, there's there's no real effective way to do that at scale. Um, but you can reduce chargebacks, and um, the tools that we recommend, um, and you could actually contact um, anybody here at Chargebacks 911. You can contact me. Um, I'll put my email back up at the end of this. But um, there's there's a series of prevention mechanisms that are post-transaction, um, but they're pre-chargeback. And so what will happen is that a, a customer will contact their bank, and as long as that bank is, is part of one of these networks, um, then you as the merchant will be notified of the dispute um, before it actually turns into a chargeback. And then um, depending on the network, depending on the, the product, you'll have a few different options. You can um, you know, just, just refund the transaction um, to avoid the chargeback. Um, in some cases, you'll be able to provide additional information to, to the bank um, to support your, your claim that it was a legitimate transaction. Um, and then in some cases, you could just uh, uh, cancel a subscription. Um, but uh, but these are these are great uh, mechanisms for preventing the actual chargeback. Um, but but you know in a lot of cases they're not cost uh, neutral. So um, you know if unless your primary goal is the reduction of chargebacks over all else, um, you know they're they're not the best solution for all merchants. Okay, this next question and you and you talked about this a little bit. Um, how will real-time payments impact chargeback numbers? Um, well, first, why don't you reiterate what real-time payments are, what, what this um, um, person's kind of talking about, and then um, maybe you could sort of comment on how you think that they'll impact chargebacks? Yeah, so ultimately, real-time payments, um, you know, anything like what like, you know, Clearinghouse offers, um, these are just your, hey, it's very similar to your e-check and your ACH. Um, where they're putting in their bank account information or what have you, and that payment is going through in real time. Um, the good news is, is that these won't affect chargeback numbers for your credit card transactions, obviously. 
Um, and if you're asking, well, how do chargeback numbers tend to look with real-time payments versus credit cards or other options? One thing I will say is that any payment method that has a direct bank account debit requires a little more bank account information. It tends to be a little stickier. So from what I've seen and from what we've seen, those disputes tend to be a little lower. Oftentimes, credit cards are just easier to make impulsive decisions with, forget about recurring billing and so on. Um, furthermore, it's a lot easier to institute a credit card chargeback as a consumer. So if you're you know, curious about the impact Overall, it could lower your dispute, lower your disputes rather, if it's used in tandem with chargeback reduction tools and you know other payment methods. So, in terms of your impact, uh, if you're using it correctly, it could uh, it could lower it. Well, that's good news. All right. Um, <clears throat> Okay, this next question is how to mitigate friendly fraud for services that are immediately rendered after uh, an approved transaction. So yeah. I left this one in, even though I'm not sure how to answer. I feel like I, I feel like this is very similar to the other question. Um, so so really, you know, th this uh, this person, like I, the, the second part of the question, they're saying that you know for for uh, services that are immediately rendered after proof transaction, but friendly fraud is usually not identifiable until until well after the the trans the actual transaction. So even if they're not immediately rendered, um, you know, uh, chargeback can happen. I think up to ninety days in most cases, mm -hmm. um, and then you know, so so even if you ship something or whatever, you know, friendly fraud is is almost impossible to detect and prevent pre-fulfillment. Um, it, 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 there really just are no solutions. Really where your opportunity is, is in that, you know, uh, post-dispute pre-transaction window. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's where utilizing some of the prevention tools that, that Scott just referenced and that I was trying to talk about a little bit earlier. Um, but but again, it really doesn't, you know, the, the, the speed at which you, um, whether it's a service, whether it's a product, um, you know, chargebacks are, if, if you accept a credit card in a card not present environment, um, you're going to have a liability for, for chargebacks and it's going to be very difficult for you to um, identify uh, friendly fraudsters before they uh, seek to dispute that charge. Mm -hmm. Sorry, bad news. <laughs> <laughs> um, what alternative payments um, have chargebacks? So the, yeah, this is a really interesting question because you were talking about the ACH and you were saying that there's, you know, maybe it's not called a chargeback, but there's a, a dispute mechanism there. It's yeah. Like, so, so so how do how do we know which ones are the ones that are that have zero chargebacks? You know, once the transaction goes through, and then which which of them have, uh, you know, at least some sort of uh, um, dispute mechanism? Yeah, I think it's important to kind of separate those two out. Um, dispute mechanisms are really the big one, especially when we're talking about alternative payment methods. And chargebacks, that's any payment method that would interact with your credit card uh, or with a consumer's credit card. So if you're thinking about, okay, well, what has chargebacks? If we're talking about Apple Pay, Google Pay, these types of things are going to have chargeback mechanisms because it's still just a credit card payment. They're just kind of using a, a different method to to you know, institute that payment. But then if we're talking about disputes, it gets kind of it gets kind of interesting because you have, for example, PayPal, which I think is the most notable one that has a whole dispute system. Um, and people can pay in terms of PayPal, they can also pay with their credit card, um, but they're also, you know, just paying uh, via via check or what have you through PayPal. So um, that's those are the methods that primarily have dispute systems and Again, anything, any payment method that is interacting with a credit card is going to still be able to have that chargeback there because it'll still show up as a charge on their on their credit card report there, their statement. And then the only other thing I would add um, is what like wouldn't have chargebacks is something like cryptocurrency um, because there just isn't necessarily a dispute system there. Okay. Good answer. All right. Um, this next one is uh, which alternative payment methods are the most popular among customers? And then actually, this is a, a, another person asked, but it was a similar question. Um, will any take market share away from credit cards? You think? 
Yeah, so in terms of alternative payment methods that are most popular, um, PayPal is a big one, especially when we're talking e-commerce. Um, a lot of the time we'll see merchants that, you know, their their customers just, they want to use PayPal. Um, that's a big one. Um, Venmo's also up there, uh, depending on the product or service um, and sort of how people are doing that. And then will any take market share from credit cards? I think this is a really, really great question. And I sort of talked about it earlier. Uh, absolutely, these digital wallets um, have kind of been identified as the kind of thing that is going to take this market share from, from credit cards, especially because of how seamless they interact with mobile phones. And so if you've got that you know Venmo app or or what have you on your phone, that is going to be really, really popular, um, and it already is popular and, and rising among uh, consumers. So that's why, in my opinion, it's one of those things where, yeah, credit cards are not going away anytime soon, still very crucial, but having these types of options and kind of keeping your, your uh, focus around mobile payments technology uh, can really help and make sure that you're aligning your business with that. And great information. Um, <clears throat> are there any, in your opinion, are they, are there any uh, cryptocurrencies other than Bitcoin that um, you recommend that uh, merchants take a look at? Yeah, so this is you know pure opinion here, uh, and I'm sure there's there's some crypto nerd on uh, around who might disagree, but it, at at this point in time, I would say no. If you're going to go down the cryptocurrency road, Bitcoin is the one that you should be focusing on. Um, I always like to tell people it's just general business uh, advice is walk before you run. Bitcoin is by far the largest cryptocurrency in terms of usage and adoption. And on my show, PayPod, I talk to a lot of folks in various areas of crypto and all of the tools, all of the commerce tools and things like that, they're all being built around Bitcoin at this point in time, or Bitcoin is their primary focus. And then they maybe add another crypto like Ethereum or what have you in there. Uh, so if you're, if you're looking at cryptocurrencies at this point in time, I would say don't even worry about anything that isn't Bitcoin um, until things get more proven out. And, and that includes, you think, um, the, I know you were talking about the stable coins earlier. Is that, um, is yeah, good question. I think, that... I think stable coins are really exciting because they try to solve what is the biggest criticism of cryptocurrencies right now, which is that volatility. There's a lot right. of folks when you're just trying to run a business, you know, I don't, I want to sell a product, but then now I accepted this coin and now it's worth a, percentage of what it was before uh, in this one second. Um, stable coins try to solve that. And I think there's a lot getting pushed forward with that, but I haven't necessarily seen one stable coin just rising above all the rest just yet. Um, so again, kind of to bring it back, uh, Bitcoin is where I would, would begin any sort of focus on the crypto area. Okay, that's good advice. All right. Um, okay, we got I think three more questions. We're going to try to trying to uh, get through these here. Um, does offering PayPal option reduce the number of chargebacks, and does using PayPal impact Visa or Mastercard chargeback ratios? Um, so there's a couple things here, and I'm going to try to be super brief. Um, um, the, the first thing I should mention, you know, before you, you know, if if you're in a situation where uh, you have a high chargeback ratios, like around that one percent or, or or more than that one percent. Um, PayPal is probably gonna is is, is going to give you trouble. Um, PayPal is notorious about you know freezing people's accounts, you know canceling people's accounts, um, you know in a lot of ways sort of overreacting when there's any any type of dispute activity um, above and beyond you know the bare minimum for for an online business. Um, so PayPal you know really doesn't help if um, if if you have a, a higher risk sort of chargeback situation. You may actually end up having your funds funds frozen, and um, then you're going to go on to Reddit and you know write a big long expose about you know why PayPal is no good. Um, but you know if 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 you have lower uh, uh, chargeback numbers, then um, uh, PayPal has the potential to lower your 
uh, uh, chargeback ratio potentially, because as Scott was talking about, um, you know, if somebody uses a credit card but they but they use it through PayPal, um, then actually they have two paths to dispute. So, for example, if if they use a Visa card on a transaction, but then um, instead of going to their bank, they go to PayPal. Um, PayPal actually has a um, a mediation mechanism uh, within the platform itself um, that uh, allows you to avoid the chargeback. Um, and so if people opt for that solution or they don't use their Visa card at all, um, theoretically, there, there is a way that um, uh, PayPal could, uh, could reduce your chargebacks. However, if somebody does use a Visa card, even if they pay through PayPal, they still have the option to go to their bank and then that chargeback is still going to impact you and is going to uh, create issues in the same way as if um, uh, uh, you know, they, they purchase directly from you. Uh, and one thing, Jared, I sure. would just jump in here. Um, you know, if folks are thinking, oh, well, maybe I could, you know, pass a certain number of customers to PayPal or because it doesn't necessarily directly impact my chargeback ratio, um, that should be okay. One thing that we do when we see a lot of merchants come in and apply for merchant accounts, if you have had a PayPal account and you've been accepting payments from customers via PayPal, uh, the processors, the banks, they are going to ask to see those statements and they are going to evaluate um, your PayPal disputes. So even if it doesn't directly impact your chargeback ratio, uh, it still can impact you. And if you have a lot of PayPal disputes, uh, that's still not a great thing if you're even trying to apply for a traditional merchant account outside of PayPal. So, um, you know, I think it's important to for folks to keep in mind that, hey, PayPal is still considered in that payments ecosystems and uh, banks are looking at those statements. That's great. That's great. That's a great point, Scott. That That's some good, um, we're going to call you a, a uh, Scott uh, Hacksworth, because you, you <laughs> there you hacks, go. So great. Um, <clears throat> are there benefits to alternative payments when selling into other countries? You talked about this a little bit, but could you sort of belabor that point a little bit, could you, so people understand, um, yeah, you know, how, how uh, alternative payments could help with that? Absolutely. Um, the simple answer to this question is yes, 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 um, because. There are many different countries, uh, not the U.S., and consumers in those countries behave differently and they have different payment methods that, you know, they are preferred. Um, I mentioned Alipay. That is tremendously popular abroad. And it's one of those things where if you don't accept that and you're trying to break into a country where that's the primary payment method that uh, folks there are using, you're, you're going to have a problem and you're going to have a, a, some issues. Additionally, with credit cards, um, we have a whole system built around there where folks need a credit history and things like that. If you're trying to get into a country where, um, you know, maybe it's more of an emerging market, there is not uh, as much of a credit history with a lot of their, uh, their consumers there. You can have challenges if all you're accepting is credit cards because maybe you have consumers that don't have access to that. Um, another big example is things like China and using QR codes and all of this. So, yes, bottom line, there are big benefits to using alternative payments when you are selling into other countries, um, kind of treating every consumer around the world as though they are a U.S. consumer and behave that way is, is sort of a faulty way of going about it. So I always recommend if you are trying to break into a new country, take a look and see what their specific payment method is. Um, if there is anything that is particularly popular, again, like Alipay um, or what have you, that is, that is great stuff uh, to focus on. Okay. All right. And th this is the last one. So um, uh, we'll, real quick, we'll uh, do this and then I'll put the uh, emails back up on the screen in case uh, anybody wants to contact us. Um, the la last question is, uh, what are the drawbacks of payments with checks, money orders, and direct deposits? I don't know if those are all the correct names for those things, but what, what are, what are the, the, uh, um, the you know, pros and cons of uh, those types of payments? Yeah, I mean, to to me, one of the big things is, and I was talking about it earlier, the ability to uh, for consumers to pay for something when they maybe don't necessarily have the cash right on them or readily available. Um, these methods, checks, direct deposits, uh, you actually have to have that cash 
uh, right there. So that's a downside. Uh, you may miss out on certain customers who, who want to do that. Another thing is uh, there's no reward systems. There's no point systems. Um, these types of things uh, matter to a lot of consumers. They are looking out there and they want to get those frequent flyer miles. So you don't have that uh, with those types of things. Uh, and then from the consumer side, consumers may be just less willing to uh, to use these types of payments because they don't have necessarily the same uh, protections that credit card payments afford you. It's not as easy to just cancel a card if you have a fraudulent transaction or uh, or something like that. It's not as easy to just do a chargeback when you're talking about direct deposit checks and money orders. Um, so I think the big drawback is just that aspect that consumers may be more hesitant with some of these things. Um, but in terms of in tandem with your overall payment strategy, um, you know, if it can fit into your stack, I, I do think it's worth, you know, exploring. Yeah. And, and you and I were talking, uh, you know, and I had some questions about e-checks because I, I remember there used to be a lot of friction around e-checks, but that, that, that friction has been eliminated a little bit, right? Um, I know yeah. you guys do some stuff with e-checks over there, but it's not, you know, I was saying the last time I did it, or the last time I remember doing an e-check, I've had to, like, you know, fax it, I think, or scan <laughs> it, take a photo of it, you know, do do a bunch of different things. And that's, um, the e-check uh, process is a, is, a, is a lot easier for consumers now. So um, you want to yeah, talk absolutely. about that just real quick? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where a lot of these companies that are offering, you know, e-check options, for example, they know that, especially when we're talking about e-commerce, that the seamless checkout experience, that the seamless payment experience from the merchant side, these things really matter. So they're working on developing their tools and improving them to make it simpler, to make it so they need to request less information or that it plugs into an existing shopping cart uh, and is much more seamless. So that is getting better and better. And so that's making it a lot easier for consumers to use these payment methods and for merchants to implement them. Um, so you are seeing that. So it is not as bad as maybe it was back in the day where, uh, you know, you have to fax something. Uh, that's not the case right now. So like I had said earlier, I always recommend if someone's trying to explore a specific payment method, look at what kind of integrations they have, look at what, what technological and seamless sort of user experience they can offer. And, and the good news is, is that they're getting better and better. So it's not like uh, credit card is the the de facto easiest uh, payment method. All right, great. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that has a hard stop at the top of the hour. So let me real quick zip all the way back to the beginning of this uh, deck so that uh, I can put our addresses back up there. If uh, anybody wants to reach out to um, either myself or Scott, um, if you have any question or would like to inquire about the solutions that we have, please uh, just let us know. Um, in my case, if I'm not able to answer your question, um, I'll definitely introduce you to somebody who can. Thank you so Same much, here. Scott. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on the webinar, and um, I look forward to next time. Yep. Thanks, Jared.